I just want to say that I am very super proud of Bethany and her husband Mason for what they're doing over there in Africa. Very proud. We miss you. We miss you. We miss you. But we're very proud of what you're doing with your life over there. Well, uh, turn your Bibles, if you like, Proverbs chapter 18. We are concluding a series we've been doing the last six weeks called Healthy Relationships. And my hope, my intent has been to try to share some things from the Bible as the source of life, the source of God's wisdom that will help your family be better, that will help your friendships, that help your golfing buddies, your hunting buddies, the people you work with, to help you find a greater sense of harmony in, in these things. Remember the last uh, six weeks we talked first about the foundation of a good, strong relationship, which is the fact that I'm committed, and we talked about what biblical love really means. I mean, no, biblical love is not a feeling. Biblical love is an action. We talked a week about marriage from Ephesians 5, then we picked up on children from Ephesians 6. We talked about relationship bombs, behaviors that can destroy our, 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 uh, our relationships. And last week we talked about hitting the reset button of forgiveness. When, uh, when I've got my feelings hurt, when I'm offended, uh, when something is strained a little bit. Uh, just today, I was actually, I was in my, my yard, I was uh, spraying some weeds. And uh, I was kind of walking through my wildflower patch with the little sprayer, and, and uh, my mind just started reflecting on someone that had offended me. You don't ever have that happen, do you? And it was a long time ago. And guess what I did first? First I said, Lord, thank you for forgiving me. And I recognized the goodness of God's mercy in, in my own life. And then I said again, Lord, that I, that I forgive them. Well, that's the kind of thing we've been talking about. But tonight we want to finish up and talk about the power our words have. What I say to make a relationship feel better or worse. Bethany, how'd you feel when I, when I said I was proud of you just a moment ago? She said she teared up. Of course, she tears up if there's a, if there's a sale at uh, Dillard's. I mean, it, it, it's not hard to make Bethany tear up. Nah. Um, our words have power. Listen to what the Proverbs 18 says. I'll read it from a couple translations. The Message Bible says, words kill, words give life. They're either poison or fruit, and here's the key thing, you choose. You choose the words that you're going to say. The New Century Version says, what you say to another person can mean life or death. And those who speak with care will be rewarded. There's deliberateness in our word. The New King James Version says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. So this is how I memorized it. Well, the Bible says our words can either make our relationships stronger or they're going to tear them apart. And today we're going to look and see what the Bible says about uh, three different parts of the message. The first literally is just building on this truth that my words have power. My words make a difference. My words are not just incidental, but my words have impact. And then we're going to explore why we say what we say. Why is what's coming out of my mouth, either good or bad, why is it happening? We're going to look in the book of James and see what it says about the tongue, and then we're going to go to Jesus, said it's the source of the stuff is in our heart. And then I'm going to close with something very practical, six words or six phrases that people that I love need to hear about, and they need to hear from me regularly. So let's talk about the power of words. Matthew chapter 3 as again, as we emphasize this main point of the message in healthy relationships, that the words we say are going to make my relationship stronger or tear them apart. Matthew chapter 3, verse 16. And I want you to imagine this scene. Jesus has come to John the Baptist to be baptized in water. 
Of course, you know the story. John said, hey, what are we doing here? I should be, you should be baptizing me. Jesus said, no, this needs to fulfill all righteousness. We've got a couple handfuls of disciples around it. But notice what happens. Jesus is baptized in water. He's, he comes up wet, and the heavens open, and the Holy Spirit came down on him like a dove. Now listen to verse 17. A voice from heaven said this. I want you to say this with me. This is my son whom I love. I'm very pleased with him. Can you imagine Jesus is coming up out of the water and perhaps they saw the figure of a dove, perhaps they didn't. But the bottom line is they heard a word. They heard a voice from heaven. It's my son, I love him, and I'm pleased with him. Here's my question. Why did God the Father say this to Jesus the Son? I suggest it's because Jesus needed to hear it. Certainly Jesus was God, but we forget sometimes that Jesus was a man, and what Jesus heard, this is my son whom I love, I'm pleased with him. He heard you're valued, you're loved, and I approve of what you're doing. Now, if Jesus needed to hear that from the person that was most important to him, wouldn't you say your kids need to hear it from mom and dad? Wouldn't you see your, say your spouse needs to hear it from, from, from their spouse? Uh, people that are important to us, when we hear these words, Jesus had the greatest mission a man ever had. The whole world depended on him to save us from our sins, yet it would be the most difficult task anyone had ever faced in the history of the world. And I suggest that God the Father knew that Jesus needed to hear affirmation, approval, and confidence from the person that mattered to him the most. And it was encapsulated when Jesus said, this is, or the Father said, this is my son. I approve of you. I identify with you. I love you. And I'm very pleased with you. We would say it this way, I'm very proud of you. Now, if I could contrast just a moment, imagine what Jesus felt there. I bet he had a big old smile on his face. Let me contrast a negative experience about the power of words. When I was in 19, I joined the Navy. I was in a Navy boot camp. I was in a, situ a strange setting. About 100 guys were, I guess, in our company. And uh, uh, I was 19 years old. I was raised a little bit sheltered. I had a really good life. Uh, I was, had a lot of self-confidence. Uh, I was successful in most everything I'd done in my life. And here I am standing in the Navy barracks in front of my little locker here, and I've got my bed made and everything's cool. And this Navy lieutenant came in, and let me tell you what he did. His words were not affirming. He went through that barracks, and they were pulling out stuff. They were trying to psychologically break us, and he did it. Well, dummy me, he asked the question after he'd gone through all the beds and tore them all up and all our lockers and tore them up. He said, is there anybody in here that thinks you did the best you could to help to do on this inspection for yourself and for your, you know, for your, the rest of the guys in here? <laughs> all I knew is I'd done my best. And he proceeded to read, tell me what a sorry such and so and so that I was and he asked me if I helped my bunk mates and I said no and he said well they didn't you all I know is in about five minutes he read me the riot act and he damaged me psychologically it did something to me that turned me from a confident person who was somewhat assured of myself and successful to a guy that made me believe I was not much better than a worm and I believed him and it took 20 years of fighting for self-identity to bring confidence back. Are, are you with me today?
How did he do that? Words have power. And when we open our hearts to people, their words are either going to build us up or they're going to tear us down. The greatest coaches in the world have the ability to be able to criticize and confront behavior that's not right, but at the same time inspire and lift people up. Uh, this man crushed my spirit. Proverbs 18, 14 says, The human spirit can endure a sick body, but what's it say? Who can bear a crushed spirit? And as I said, it took me the next 20 years to regain confidence that he took from me. Uh, let's shift a little bit. Again, we're just illustrating at first the power of words. But where, why, where do these words come from? Either words that I'm very proud of you or I hate your guts. Uh, you're going to be a success in your life, as you tell to your children, or, or I wish you were never born. Why do we say what we say? We're going to start with the tongue, and then we're going to go towards the heart. James chapter 3, verse 5. James has been talking, and he speaks in quite great length about the power of the tongue, and he first likens it to the bit in a horse's mouth, and then he likens it to a rudder on a ship. He says it's the same with the tongue. It's a small part of the body. Go ahead, just stick, stick your tongue out just a second. Can you see it? I can see about uh, uh, But this thing gets you in trouble. It's a small part of the body, but it brags about great things, a big forest fire can be started with only a little flame. Now think of that part. It brags about great things. I saw this old football movie that uh, uh, if you watched it with your remote control in your hand, you'd do okay. But it was about a father that was trying to inspire his son, but he was doing a terrible job. His son was a senior. Dad's team had won the, won the uh, state championship. He had this ring on his finger, and he put the ring in his son's face, and he said, I won the state championship, but you'll never win it. You were so sorry. Look at the way you play. You can't even hold on to the football, and he's sticking that ring in his face. What is this? The tongue brags about great things, and then its bragging has the power to destroy. Verse 6, it continues this language. The tongue is like a fire. It's a whole world of evil among the parts of our body. The tongue spreads its evil through the whole body. It is set on fire by... Oh, my. It starts a fire that influences all of life. What does that mean? That means the words that come out of my mouth, the negative words, the hurtful words, the demeaning words, have the power to influence everything and impact everything in the people around me. People can tame every wild animal, bird, reptile, and fish, and they've tamed them, but no one can tame the tongue. And might I add, without God's help. No one can tame the tongue. It is wild and evil and full of deadly poison. And we're painting a picture because I'm going to show you a video from down under. Psalm 140, the Old Testament, says, Their tongues sting like a snake, and the venom of a viper drips from their lips. You say, what could he be talking about? Take a peek at this little video about the power of this thing called the tongue. Oh, that's right. Just walk away. I don't want to talk to you when you're like this. Well, go then. I'm not away from you. You see what you've done this time? This is all your fault. You're ruining this family. You're so bloody selfish.
Wait a minute. Let's have a read, shall we? Give it back, Tom! <laughs> he says I'm really mature for my age. <laughs> Loser, more like. Please, Is this stop your it. boyfriend? He sits next to me in English classes. <laughs> what boy would want to sit next to you? I can't believe you write this drivel. It's pathetic. Pathetic. Do you think I'm here to clear up after you? You're useless. Do you know that? She's not here anymore, is she? To look after you. And it's not my job. Grow up, you worthless idiot! Whether it's words, constant criticism, or... Honest question. How many have had somebody talk to you like that in your life? Most people in the room. Now, don't raise your hand on this one, but how many have talked to someone like that? See, we've... we've yeah, I, I would say probably all of us at some level, because we've got two natures warring within us. Probably what you saw are people that just lived in the world that didn't know Christ. But yet, how many know when I become a Christian, the potential for change is there, but it's not automatic. Even Christians can allow themselves to get caught up with words that are coming out of the mouth that are hateful and spiteful. Verse 9, again, speaking to Christians in James, we use our tongues to praise the Lord. But then we curse people whom God made like Him. Praises and curses come from the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, this should not happen. For example, a parent is having an argument with a teenager before church. This father said, if your mother would used birth control, you wouldn't be here. Then they step in the sanctuary and Pastor Zach says, let's begin to sing. There's a dichotomy that goes on inside with us. Something's wrong. How can good and bad things come from the same mouth? Jesus tells us how this can happen. Most, this is the most pivotal part of the message. What we say is a reflection of what's in our heart. We saw a video. We saw a child being demeaned by a father. We saw perhaps a brother and a sister or perhaps a friend demeaning the sister. We saw a stepmother demeaning a young man looking for some, as innocent and moldable as I was as I stood at 19 before that Navy lieutenant. And words came into an open heart. What we say is a reflection of our heart. And if we want to change our words, we've got to ask God to change our hearts. Let me say it again. What we say is a reflection of what's in our heart. This tongue, this tongue is not the problem. It's what this tongue has the capacity to bring out and where it brings it out from, either encouragement and blessing, I'm proud of you, or you're stupid and you'll never amount to anything. It's coming from the heart. And how many know this is where God works? This is what God wants to do. God changes us from the inside out. 
God's not as concerned as we. We're concerned about how we look on the outside. God's concerned about how we look on the inside. And when he begins to change us on the inside, what comes out of our mouth is different. Come on, somebody say praise the Lord. But listen to what Jesus said about this. Matthew 12, 34, he's talking about the Pharisees. He says, you're a brood of snakes. How could evil men like you speak what is good and right? What did he say? Say it with me. Whatever is in your heart determines what you say. Whatever is in your heart determines what you say. Uh, Matthew 15, uh, verse 18, again, three chapters later, Jesus said the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the, the heart. And these defile them. For from the heart come evil thoughts. You see, Christianity has a starting place. We're born again. When we invite Christ to come in our life, when we come to the cross, make a confession or wherever it is, but when we commit our lives to Christ, there is the touch of God in our lives, but it is a starting place, not an ending place. It is not automatic that we change. It is not, uh, uh, it is not uh, easy. We have to allow God, the Holy, God by the Holy Spirit to change us on the inside. Uh, according to Jesus, if I want to change my words, I've got to change my heart. Because if my words are tearing relationships apart, I've got a heart problem, and I need to ask God to change me on the inside. Because I want to tell you this, friend, God can and God will. How many can say, I used to cuss a lot, but I don't cuss anymore? Wave your hand real big at me. Sure, sure, I'm amazed how many ladies are out there that were former cussers. Um, how many can say, I used to yell at people a lot, just rail on them, but I don't do that as much anymore. And I'm not saying you're perfect today, but I'm saying, what's happened? God changes us on the inside. And this is the point I want to make. How can we change our heart? James says you're helpless to, to change your tongue. But my friends, the Bible teaches us that we can ask God and God will bring change in our hearts. Galatians chapter 5, you remember the section he talks about the works of the flesh? The works of the flesh, and one of the things he says is outbursts of anger, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition come from the flesh. But Galatians 5.22, it says the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Now, before we read, I want you to think about this. What, what was fruit? Right now, I've got some, some uh, um, uh, plum trees in my yard, and I think some of the blooms survived the, the, the cold weather that we had. And that bloom is going to become a flower, and then hopefully a little green plum is going to be in there. It's growing out of it. And what the Holy Spirit, he produces fruit in our life that, well, the first one that talks about is love. So rather than having hateful words spew out of my mouth, one of the things that God wants to produce in us are loving words. God wants to make us into a person that doesn't repulse people, but he wants to make us into a person that people are drawn to like a magnet. Because what we say makes them feel better. What we say makes them have confidence. What we say makes them feel encouraged in life because it's coming out of our heart. The Holy Spirit produces joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness, self-control. You can't cut it off yourself. The Holy Spirit will help you, help you do it. Let me show you how this works. I've got a little picture here I want to show you. Now, you have to look kind of hard there. To the left of the daffodil is a little persimmon tree I planted last year. It's only a couple of feet tall, two and a half feet tall. But I want you to look at the next picture. And I'm not talking about persimmons that make your mouth dry up. I'm talking about those big orange ones that are about that big and taste real sweet that you get in the grocery store sometimes. 
Now, what I want you to see is it's got a root, and on that root, they grafted in a branch from a different tree. This is exactly what we're talking about in our heart because uh, the, 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 the branch would bring forth good fruit, but the, 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 the root, uh, the, 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 the stem was stronger than the one that was on that branch. And that branch, if you just planted that tree just with that top branch on it, it wouldn't produce that much fruit. It would die in colder weather, but they put it on a specially adapted root system and they grafted it in there so that root system will make it have better fruit. And this is exactly what the Holy Spirit wants to do. He wants to take our life and graft us into Him. He wants to take who we are, just this cut-off branch that was worldly and wild and crazy and cussing and, you know, just negative and all those things, and He wants to get us attached to Christ. And he wants that new root system to begin to flow and bring life through us. Well, guess what? I have to ask God to do this. I have to yield to the Lord. Just because I say, Lord, I, I, I give you my life, I want to go to heaven. How many know there's more than that? It's a process called sanctification. And when the Holy Spirit begins to convict us, listen, I guarantee you as a Christian, when you are born again, the Holy Spirit starts speaking to you on the inside. How I many can say, I know the voice? And I'll either say yes to it or I'll say no to it. But if you'll just keep saying yes to the Holy Spirit, if you yell at your spouse, for example, and you walk away and you feel justified, what they did was wrong, but the Holy Spirit convicts you, you turn right around and you go and you apologize. How many know change is being wrought in our lives? And I want to give every person in this room hope today that no matter what your tongue is like today, God can make it something fruitful. God can make it something beautiful. God can make it something loving. God can take away the hateful words that used to be there. Come on, the angry words, the yelling words, the cursing words, and God can replace them with love and joy and peace. Come on, give him a good, a good hand today. Now, let me give you something very practical. Six life-giving words that people we care need to hear us say. And I bet you know what the first one is. What is it? I love you. Let's go back to Jesus and his baptism. And I want you to think about this. Matthew chapter 3, verse 16. Jesus is baptized in water. He comes out of the water and a voice from heaven says, This is my son whom I love. This is my son whom I love. When the father said that to tell someone you love them, it means I cherish you. I hold you near to my heart. I am committed to you. Uh, you are very dear to me. And when we say these words, the person who hears them feels valued and they feel secure. I, I don't know what your upbringing was like. Maybe you were in a, how many could say, I was raised in a home, we told each other we loved us all the time. Look how few hands were lifted. About maybe 25% of us. Most people were not raised in a home like that. Can I tell you, friend, if you will learn this habit, and I don't mean say it to the waitress now, come on. I, I don't mean saying I love you to the waitress. Listen, I, ha I have, uh, as a Christian, I'm supposed to love everybody, but I don't tell everybody I love them. But my close friends, I say it all the time to men. And there's nothing sexual uh, attached to it. It just simply means I care about you. You are special to me. You are valued in my life. I'll tell you, love needs to be expressed with words. It's not enough to feel it. We need to say it. 
Because the people that, 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 that we're in relationship with have a deep need to hear it. See, you, you, uh, sometimes their need is so great because of what they've had in the past. And if Jesus needed to hear, I love you, wouldn't you say that our close friends need to hear it too? Yeah. Everyone in this room needs to hear that I'm loved and I'm valued. Let, let me, let's look at the second one. The first one was I love you, and the second one was I'm proud of you. We've touched on this. This will be the third time in this series. Matthew chapter 3, verse 16. Let's read the verse again. Jesus is baptized. A voice from heaven says, this is my son whom I love. What's it say next? The creator of the universe. This voice came out of heaven, and it had a nice ring to it, the kind of ring probably that would put a smile on your face. It said, I'm very pleased with him. How do you feel if, 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 you, if, if someone brags on you in front of the class? Uh, you're in school, and, and the teacher brags on you, singles you out. Or, or, or if you're playing ball, and, 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 and the coach says, what a great job you're doing. Or maybe you're at work and you're having a, a party or a lunch work and, 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 and someone brags on what you It just makes you feel bigger than you are. When God the Father said, I'm proud of you to Jesus, I bet Jesus smiled and felt good inside. Uh, the Father was saying, what you're doing is making me happy. You're doing a great job. Uh, when we tell someone we're proud of them, it's like a cheerleader standing there. Uh, you know, it's like being in a ball game and they hit a home run. What do the fans do? They stand, they clap their hands, they yell because they're expressing their, their, their appreciation that what you did, you did a good job. Well, how many know if Jesus needed to hear his, father approve, his father's approval, how many know we do too? And I want to encourage you, saying I'm proud of you can be life-changing to people. I find the older I get in my role as a pastor, I'm becoming more of a cheerleader. I can't be best friends with everybody, but you know what? I can encourage every person that I see. I can, I can look for the good in a person and what that person is doing, and you just feel the bond that's, that's shaped when a person uh, that respects you when you say something to them. I remember when I was playing ball, I, I loved to play baseball. Sports was my life. It probably bordered on idolatry when I was a kid. But uh, we, played, uh, we played Babe Ruth baseball, and I had a coach probably for about five years, and his name was O.M. Briscoe. Uh, he was, a, he was a, a wild guy. He loved to drink whiskey and coach. And uh, he worked for the railroad, and every ball game we'd play, he'd have his little bottle of whiskey, and he'd get carried away. But I loved him like a father. Uh, he, took time for, he took time for me. Uh, but I remember one time, uh, I don't know, I was probably in the 11th grade, maybe 12th, we were, I, I, I was hitting so well that they moved me to number nine. <laughs> you, got, you get the picture? Well, we're playing in Olive Branch, Mississippi, and uh, we are down by a couple runs, and it's the last inning, and uh, the bases are loaded, and guess who's coming up to bat? Me. Now, me, who had been grounding out, striking out, and bunning out for quite a while here, and had found my way from being first or second in the batting order down to ninth, and then O.M., you know, again now, he liked to drink a little whiskey, and he's, he's, he's a little tight at this point in the game. He said, John Henry Miller, in this loud voice, come here, boy. I'm thinking, oh, God, he's going to take me out of the lineup in front of everybody. But he came up to me, and he's put his arm around me. And he said, son, I believe that you're going to get a base hit. I, I don't remember exactly what he said, but the gist of it was 
is he put something in me by telling me that he believed in me. And I went up there, true story, and I hit a triple. True story. And it came because somebody believed in me, but they said it. And I'm telling you, there is power in your voice. I don't care if it's in your workplace, your ball team, uh, at, at home, your family, with your children. But you cannot say enough how proud of you they are. And again, it's not just for the great things. I mean, if you have any uh, young kids and they're going to play ball, uh, they're going to strike out. And maybe they'll strike out three times in a row. And they get in the car and they throw their glove. How many saying, I understand what that's like. Wait just a little while, go by Sonic and get them something to drink. But after a little while, you can say, son, I want to tell you today, I was proud of you. Well, I didn't do anything. I struck out three times. I know you did. But you didn't quit. You didn't throw your helmet. You didn't throw your bat. You didn't scream. You didn't, you, you didn't act like a crazy man. You didn't walk away. You took it like a man, and I believe the next game you play, you're going to get a handle on your batting. I actually send you to the batting cages if that will help, but I believe in you because I know God's hand is on your life, and son, God has his hand on you, and you're going to do something next week. I mean, something to bring life to people. There's power, and I love you, and I'm proud of you, but let me give you a third one. It's the words, I'm sorry. This is hard for people that struggle with pride to say or insecurity. I'm sorry I was wrong. Please forgive me. Proverbs 28 says this. Again, we go to the Bible for wisdom. He who covers his sins will not prosper. But if you confess them and forsake them, you'll find mercy. The book of James says, confess your sins or faults to one another and be healed. There's something powerful. Every relationship has tension. Every relationship has conflict. Lynnell and I have been married 36 years, and every once in a while we have to say, I'm sorry to one another. And it's still not easy. But if you will swallow your pride, saying I'm sorry has the potential to fix what's broken. And so sadly what we often do in relationships is we wait for the other person to admit their fault. But if the bigger person, if you'll just take it on yourself, I'm going to be a restorer and a reconciler. And if they'll receive it, I'm going to acknowledge and I'm going to say it when I'm wrong. Because when I'm wrong, listen, the people around you will respect you more. I, I saw, I like old TV shows, and I was watching an old rerun of Andy Griffith the other day. And uh, uh, Andy, uh, his girlfriend Helen, uh, if you've ever watched old Andy Griffith, well, Helen had written a children's book, and uh, it was going to be published, and she was very successful. They'd already given her $1,000, and uh, the publisher was coming to town, and they were doing rewrites, and for two weeks, Andy hadn't had a date. She's been working every night. And pretty soon, Andy is getting jealous of Helen's success. So Andy does what most men would do. He finds him another date. Oh, yeah. And she was this blonde. She was, you know, she had a reputation around town. And uh, guess where they go to dinner? They go to the diner, and Helen's in the diner. And this girl is crawling all over Andy and just telling him how cute he is and all that kind of stuff. Well, the next scene, Andy's going to Helen's house. And he knocks on the door. And he just wants to say, Helen, if you'll listen to me, i got something I want to tell you. And he, she opened the door, because they both loved each other. But he said, Helen, I want to apologize for my behavior. And he went into this lengthy. He said, listen, you've been the, one of the nicest, kindest women in my life, and I didn't treat you right the last couple of days. And I want to come to tell you to your face that I was wrong, and I want to ask you to forgive me. 
And just like that, you know what happens next. Of course, you say, well, that's the movies. Well, yeah, it's the movies, but it's also real life. That if we will humble ourselves and acknowledge our wrong, it'll make things better and not worse. Let me give you a couple more. Speaking God's word to them. This is where uh, how we can bring God into the relationship, how God can help a person. What I mean speaking God's word to them. Speaking words of scripture in their life. Uh, Hebrews 4.12, listen, it says, For the word of God is what? Living and, say it with me, powerful. The word of God, the Bible, the verses in the Bible are powerful words. What are you going to do? What are you going to tell your kid when your kid wants to drop a class that they need to take for their degree? Organic chemistry is too hard. I can never do it. I just cannot make it. I just don't feel I have the ability to do it. That been making A's and B's now the whole time. They do have the ability, but they don't have the confidence. How about you tell them Philippians 4.13? Listen, God says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. How about I bring the word of the Lord into their situation and I help particularly a child or whoever it is, somebody that's in struggle, struggling, somebody that's in a difficult spot. Let me know if you share with someone. Uh, I, I will often share with people that are about to go into surgery. Isaiah 41.10, fear not because I'm with, you. I'm with you. God's word has power. And I want to encourage you in what you say to other people, if you will allow yourself to add a sprinkling of the Word of God, you will open up possibilities for the Holy Spirit to be able to work in their lives in ways that you can't. And not only the Scriptures, but sharing personal prophecies over their life. Um, th th Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, uh, don't neglect your gift which was given you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hand on you. Now, what does that mean? That means that the Holy Spirit spoke some word of encouragement, some word of direction, some word of life. And Paul, the senior man, realized it and remembered it, and he wrote a letter to his son in the faith, Timothy, and he said, look, years ago you got this prophetic word about what God was going to do in your life. You need to stir yourself up with that word. You need to, you, 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 you need to allow God to do what he promised he was going to do in your life. Again, it is life-giving, and it opens a door for God to do something big. If, excuse me, if we'll share it with people. Come on, give the Lord a good, a good hand. I missed one. I'm going to give you two more quickly. Um, people that are close to us, if they're making a mistake, we need to tell them. Now, I'm reluctant to share this one because this is not very popular in our culture. We're, we said we're judgmental and, and, and whose business is it? Uh, what, bit, what right do you have to say it? Proverbs 27.5 says it's better to correct someone openly than to love them and not show it. Uh, the NIV says, wounds from a friend can be trusted. Wounds from a friend, can, now that doesn't mean that people are going to go around and hurt you. Uh, nobody likes to be told they're wrong. Nobody likes to be told they're messing up. And how many know it's pretty awkward to tell somebody they need a breath mint? It's pretty awkward to go up to somebody and say, X, Y, Z. You know what that means? <laughs> Examine your zipper. X, Y, Z. It's pretty awkward to say things like that to people. Now you're getting a little red-faced even now me saying that. There's just some things that are hard to say. One of my regrets as a pastor, and I, looking back over the last few decades of my life, 
Because there were a lot of times I felt that the, I knew the Lord's will in a person's life, and I didn't tell them. Uh, they're moving to a different city, and they make about a two-year journey of failure and come back home. I watched people that I just felt their marriage was going to be wrong, and I didn't do it. And I, 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 asked to ask, I had to ask God to forgive me because we don't want to meddle in other people's business. Come on, we don't want to be Mr. Judgmental telling everyone. But, but if I really care about someone and they're about to make a mistake that's going to be costly in their life, don't you think we ought to tell one another? Don't you think it's better to hear it from a friend than let it come from the world? Yeah, I do too. Let me, uh, I'm going to close with this. And the last thing is, I just called it practice the spoken blessing. What do you mean, Pastor? Well, Numbers chapter 6, uh, here's what Moses said. Moses said, tell Aaron, or God told Moses to tell Aaron and his sons to bless the people of Israel. Now, I bet you a lot of you have been in a church service, and the pastor, or whoever closed the service, said these words at the end. Bless the people with his special blessing. And the priest would say, may the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord show you his favor and may he give you peace. That just feels good just listening to it. Imagine if we begin to have a spoken blessing for people in our world that we care about. How about when you're getting ready to send your kid off to school and just before they get out the door, say, say something like this. John, may the Lord bless you and keep you today. May he make his face smile on you. I know i got to go, Dad, and may he do you good all your days. How about when you hug your wife going out of the house today? May God give you peace today, honey. I love you. Can't think of a better way to separate. Honey, I need to start doing that a little better, don't I? You, it's okay. You can say it. I just, this just dawned on me here. But there's power in a spoken blessing. Because what you're doing is you're touching heaven and you're touching earth and you're touching people that you care about and you're making a vehicle and a channel and it happens because of your words because there's power in our tongues for life and death. And I don't know about you, but I'm going to choose life. Yeah. Give the Lord a good hand today. He's worthy of praise. Why don't you stand to your feet and we're going we're gonna to close tonight. And I want to ask you to, to make two commitments with me tonight as we go. Very practical message. But I want to ask you to make two commitments. And here's the first one. I'm gonna, I want us to ask the Lord to help us change on the inside. I want us to ask the Lord, remember that picture of grafting that fruit tree on a better root and stock? Well, listen, if you could have changed yourself, if you're 45 or 50, you'd have already done it. But is it just possible that there's some help from heaven that we hadn't availed ourselves to? Is it just possible that we could ask God to help change us on the inside and God would answer that prayer? Is it just that possible that God could help us deal with our temper? That God could help us deal with the negative words that come out of our mouth? And God could help our words be a blessing rather than a cursing? Lord, for all of us right now, I want you to just reach out to heaven and say, Lord, would you help me do that? I need the Holy Spirit to help change me on the inside. I, I, I've been a failure in parts of my life at changing myself. And you think about what's touched you about weaknesses in your life. 
but negative, the negative words, the context of it, who you say it to. Perhaps you just don't give praise. Perhaps you don't tell people that you're proud of them. Perhaps you don't say, I love you. Would you ask the Lord to help you start that new habit? Because it will literally be life-giving to people that are in your world. Help us, Holy Spirit. Sanctify us. The second commitment we want to make is what we're going to say to people that we care about. Lord, if you, if you will help us and remind us to tell people that we love them, to tell them that we're proud of them, that in the right way, in the right time, in the right place, we tell them they're making a mistake. And that we would swallow our pride and say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. And that we would bring God in the situation by speaking God's word in their life, by reminding them personal prophecies of times that God has spoken to them. And Lord, this idea of a spoken blessing, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you. May he do you good all the days of your life. May he give you peace. Let these words flow out of our lips, God, rather than just have a good day. Let us speak words from the heart of God. In Jesus' name. We're going to have a closing song. We're going to ask our prayer team to come to the front. This is a very special moment because this is a time where people very deliberately want to receive something from God. And uh, maybe it was something in the message that touched you. It could be totally unrelated. You might have missed the earlier prayer time. But if you need prayer for anything, there'll be men and women here that would be honored to pray with you. And what I've found, many of these people are praying prophetic prayers. Many of these people are in touch with the Holy Spirit. And they're praying words of life that are helpful to us. They'll pray with you about anything. But the most important prayer that we could pray tonight is perhaps you're here and you need to begin a relationship with God. I want to tell you perhaps the greatest word that you and I could ever hear tonight as we start a relationship with Christ. It's John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever would believe in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world but to save it. And maybe you're needing to begin a relationship with God. Maybe that's why you're in church tonight. You're just ready to get things right with God. You're ready to turn from the way you used to live and begin to turn your heart to Christ. Maybe you used to walk with God at one time in your life and you just got away. But tonight you want to commit your life afresh to Jesus Christ. We'd be honored to pray with you. Maybe you're, you're, you've reached a place in life and you're just really becoming aware of your need for God. Maybe you found that the things that the world offers don't really make you happy long term. Whether it's money, whether it's pleasure, whether it's success, achievements, all those things that we pursue for happiness. But after a while, it leaves an empty feeling. Something's missing. You see, God created all of us with a God-shaped hole in our heart that we'd never find true happiness and purpose until we become a follower of Jesus Christ, inviting Him to be a part of our life. That's what we'd like to do right now. If you're here today and say, Pastor, that's me, and I'm going to get my life right with God, friend, I want to ask you to let us pray with you. When they begin to sing this last song, I'm going to ask that you just slip out of your chair and come right over to the cross, coming to the front because you're walking away from the old life, walking towards Jesus Christ.
the one who can bring change as only he can. Go ahead and begin to sing. We're going to have one last song. Our prayer team is coming to the front. They're going to be here to pray for you. You need prayer for anything, you come. They're around the altar for you. And most importantly, say, Pastor, I want to get my life right with God. We'll meet you at the cross. I love you and thanks for coming.